I would like to invite you to think of the sounds that remind you of Christmas. Take a few moments. Maybe it's the sound of the bell ringer standing in front of the Safeway. Or maybe it's a famous or old Christmas commercial that plays on a loop. Maybe it's the sound of the scissors perfectly slicing that sheet of wrapping paper. For me, it's the opening notes of Mariah Carey's famous Christmas song, All I Want for Christmas is You. If you have the smallest awareness of American pop culture from the past 20 years, you know the song that I'm talking about. The moment you hear that little intro, you know what's coming. The song starts off slow, a little twinkle of a jingle, and we can mostly sing on pitch with Mariah for the beginning. And the piano picks up, and so does the song. And before you know it, you are convinced you can hit all of the same notes as Mariah while singing from the top of your lungs that the only thing in the world that you want is your beloved. This song for me is the sound marker for the beginning of the Christmas season. And even coming from a liturgical snob like myself, I will put aside my need to stay in Advent to sing and to listen to this song and other Christmas music. You can't have Christmas without this song. And I would like you to know that for the first time since it came out 20 years ago, this song has finally made it to the number one spot on the Billboard Top 100. You can't deny its influence over us. It will have you thinking that you are Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey is you. This cheery, upbeat song sets the tone for what culture tells us is a happy, joyous, romantic holiday. Mistletoe. Santa Baby, Mariah Carey. However, I, as a representative, as one of the representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ, would like to invite us to choose a different church holiday as the romantic one. For example, why not Pentecost? Fires of love? Beyonce reminds us that being drunk in love is a thing, and it makes sense because people thought that's what the disciples were at 9 a.m., right? Or maybe Easter? because of pastels and love conquering fear and death and second chances, it's perfect. The world markets Christmas as a cheery, expecting us all to have the same big Christmas energy only matched by Buddy the Elf or citizens of Whoville. It is, as Chelsea Clark likes to say, is a 24-hour 7-Eleven hallelujah chorus. Even the Lucan account of Christmas carries this vibe. Glory to God on the highest, peace on earth and goodwill. And I want you to hear that I love every bit of Luke's account. Hear me say that I need the joy of Christmas. I need the thrill of hope. I need to know that a weary world rejoices. But it's important for us to remember that when the world says there is no room for grief in the midst of a marketable happiness, the gospel reminds us again and again that there is room for sorrow and darkness at Christmas. In fact, today's gospel account of the Christmas story tells us so. In today's lectionary text, it isn't one of twinkly lights or angels with glittery wings In Matthew's story, shepherds watching over cotton ball fluffy sheep don't appear at the manger. Matthew's account of the Christmas story takes place in the darkness of night. With no bright stars, 
just a couple of new parents, an angry, paranoid king, and a baby whose needs can only be met by others. Mary, a teenager separated from her mother and other women who she knows who are not present with her to tell her what to do next with this new baby. Mary, who at one instance sings this song of defiance, and then in another, I can imagine being so scared of any of what is happening to her in this moment. And Joseph... Ah, Joseph, bless his heart, while the scriptures tell us that he was a faithful man and that he followed and obeyed the messages of the angels, is probably living moment to moment on hope. From the time he wanted to break his engagement to Mary to this point in the story, Joseph has relied on divine interventions and dreams. Each step of his journey, a tiny miracle. We can imagine that this is not how Mary or Joseph wanted to begin their lives together. It is a dark and dangerous time. Herod, the ruler at the time, is this paranoid man with an ego so fragile that the birth of a baby sends him in acting on his insecurities. So paranoid, in fact, that history tells us that this man had his own son and wife killed in fear that they might take his power and his throne. The birth of Jesus does not come at any ideal time for any of our main characters in today's story. During the season of Advent, as we unpack the story of Christmas or of Jesus' family in youth group Sunday school, our students started to pick up on this reality about our faith narrative that I think we miss, and when we don't leave room for Matthew's bittersweet account, They remind us that the story of Jesus, Joseph, and Mary is more complex than a birth and a dream. And I would say calling what Joseph has in this passage a dream is an understatement. Because after relying on his faith in God, Joseph the dreamer receives another message. Flee. Flee because Herod does not like the idea of someone else in power. Flee, Joseph, because the baby that your partner just birthed is here to turn everything upside down. Never mind that God has told him to stand firm in promises of staying. Joseph, flee. Flee from Bethlehem in the darkness of night. And not just flee to any country, Joseph. Flee to Egypt. I would not call this a dream by any stretch, but a nightmare. Flee to the land where your ancestors experienced pain and oppression? Where the foundation of society was laid down by the pain and the sweat of his ancestors? Each brick a story of some person praying for deliverance. The angel of the Lord ultimately tells Joseph to take the Messiah, the liberator of Israel and the world, to the land of former oppressors. So in the darkness of night... The Holy Family escapes the promised land from the land where Moses delivered his people. And this is key for Matthew's account of the Christmas story. You see, for Matthew, he tries to find many similarities between Moses and Jesus. Both born in times of oppression, both saved by divine interventions, both interpreters of law. And here's why this matters to us. Moses escapes out of Egypt and gives us the law for how the people of God should live their lives. It's written in stone. 
And for 40 years, people roam in hope for the land, for the promise of home. And for Matthew, Jesus, while like Moses in many ways, comes not to flee from oppression, but to run into it. In the darkness of night, Jesus flees to the historic land where his people were oppressed. And the family stays there for an undisclosed amount of time waiting for, their, waiting for new leadership in the country. But only to return to the country and learn that they can never go back to their hometown. But end up in a dingy town in Galilee. The town of Nazareth. A town people despised, a town people think of and say, what good can come from there? The Gospel of Matthew invites us to see the harsh realities of Jesus' world and life. Matthew invites us to hold the grief of political unrest, of heartbreak, of war and death. Do any of these things sound familiar to you today? And yet, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a dark night, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in the darkest of nights. God with us in a land of oppression. God with us in dingy towns called Nazareth. A God who says, I am here with you. When we feel unworthy or unlovable, I am here with you. When people cry and grieve the loss of children by the hands of state, Jesus says, I am here. I weep with you, Rachel, and I will not stop you from weeping. And the hope for us today is this. Jesus shows up and meets us where we are, in our pain, in our insecurities, in our loss, in our doubts, on the fringes of society. Where we see pain, there you will find Jesus whispering, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. The death of innocent children is not new. The terror of a tyrant is not new. Trouble in the world is not new. As Koheleth tells us in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. But Christmas is the reminder to us that in the midst of pain and suffering, God appeared and God is still working. Jesus stands in solidarity with us when we suffer. And in return, he invites us to do the same. To stand with those who suffer, who feel lonely. For those who cry for justice, Jesus, divinity made flesh, says, I am here and I am waiting with arms open wide for you, your neighbor, our neighbors who sleep on our church steps, our neighbors who sleep on the steps of our borders, our neighbors who we don't really quite like but we'll put up with. Jesus is here waiting. Will you join him there in the embrace? May it be so.